Right, dealing with the demonic. Um, we've only got an hour and a quarter um, to deal with a subject that um, I'm trying to finish a book on and uh, um, normally would take quite a lot more time. So um, what, I, what I will do is I will lob out some areas of teaching from different related subjects about the demonic and try and give some time at the end for questions and feedback uh, because I find teaching on this subject people come either with preconceived ideas or no ideas at all but want to find out um, so I would love to be able to to call a phrase scratch where you're itching as it were and um, answer any questions that I'm able to um, so where to start I think what I'll do is to give a bit of an outline of why I think this subject is very important because it is actually very neglected. Um, it's not only neglected in traditional churches but it's neglected in churches that are moving in the Holy Spirit. So I want to try and give a, a kind of overview and um, lob out a few thoughts and then you can feed back to me and if I've raised any issues that you want me to address I'm happy to do that. Well if you've been around churches like ours for a long time um, over the last 40 years uh, we've seen an incredible change in church life from the more formal kind of basic evangelical churches to the move of the spirit that um, was pretty big in the 70s and uh, what was called the charismatic renewal began to give us an understanding not only of the baptism in the spirit as an experience but also a gateway into things like the prophetic, um, healing, prophecy um, and uh, worship, community life and we began to realise that those things can't really happen and take place in a church that doesn't have a wineskin that can contain the new wine. When the Holy Spirit began to move in that kind of a way, one of the things that began to happen was that there was a whole spate of demonic um, stories, activities that sometimes made the news. So, for instance, back in the mid-70s, there was an Anglican vicar by the name of Trevor Deering who was in a, a church and he was like pre-Colin Urquhart um, he became very famous for his church being the church that did exorcisms now Trevor Deering was a Bible believing spirit filled guy um, but some of the stories that came out of that era were actually quite alarming and stories of long deliverance sessions and some of them going wrong and it actually did get quite a bad press and there was a little bit of kind of um, uh, I would say caution from people like me I was quite uh, obviously quite a lot younger then but in ministry and um, filled with the Holy Spirit and wanting to see the Holy Spirit in in church life um, I also had a theology that said if you are a born-again Christian, born-again spirit-filled Christian, you couldn't be, and the terminology we would use was demon-possessed. Mm -hmm. um, 
I could understand um, demonization from the perspective of the fact that they were demons because they're in the Bible and Jesus dealt with them and I could understand um, the ministry of deliverance to somebody who was not a Christian who was demonized <coughs> just to give you an example and to also show the reality of demonic power and that demons have an influence before I went into the ministry I was a, a school teacher for seven years and um, towards the end of my time before just before I went full-time I was known in the school as a Christian I was head of music of a, a big high school in Brighton and um, I, I was known to be a Christian because I, I was going to leave school to go into the ministry one day the headmaster came to me and uh, said Mr Fillingham we've got a problem um, there was a boy in the school he was captain of the soccer team he was very good looking 16 years old he was a bit like Troy in High School Musical which I know is a bit sad for me to say that but I do have grandchildren <laughs> um, you know he, he, he was like had life going for him and apparently what had happened he'd suddenly gone into a terrible fear and so much so that uh, the educational counsellors couldn't do anything with him and uh, the, uh, uh, the doctors couldn't do anything with him and he, he was in the grip of it and it was really, really affecting him. So the headmaster came to me and he said, Mr Fillingham, I know you're a Christian and I don't know if there's anything that you can do, anything that you can say. So um, I said, well, give me a little bit of the background and, and tell me a bit about it. It transpired this boy had been um, playing with a Ouija board and um, he got really into it and this uh, spirit behind the, the Ouija board was beginning to spell out the names of horses that were going to win horse races. And what he was doing, and because he looked older than he was, he was going into betting shops putting money on these horses and winning money wow. and uh, by now he got hooked on it uh, there's a couple, couple of seats there but by now he got hooked on it not only had he got hooked on it he got a group of boys who were around him who were playing with this Ouija board they were getting the names of these horses and they were winning money then he started playing with the Ouija again and this spirit began to spell out that he was going to die mm -hmm. and so now having been hooked on the reality of it um, he was suddenly in the grip of fear of it and so the headmaster said Mr Fellingham is there anything you can do you would never get away with this today <laughs> I said give me a room and the boy and don't ask any questions <laughs> 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 um, I don't know the full outcome of that story but I was able to share the gospel with him I mean he moved on and I moved on but it did show me the reality of the demonic so that, that's the first thing to say and then um, when I went full time um, and uh, I helped to start the church in Brighton with Terry Virgo and um, obviously that was uh, uh, a church that was filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, we saw a lot of Holy Spirit activity quite early on we began to see people who were demonized um, coming into the church and we would pray for them and they would be 
set free, but I still had this question about whether a Christian could be demon-possessed or not. Now, I'd just like to say at the outset that I do not believe a Christian can be demon-possessed because that is not actually a biblical expression. The Greek verb is dynamitsumai, which means to be demonized. So if you were to ask me, can a Christian be demon-possessed? No, we're possessed by Christ. But can a Christian be demonized? Yes, you can be demonized. Now, if you are not a Christian, I still wouldn't use the term demon possession. I would say demonized for that, because that is literally the, the Greek translation of um, demon possession. And when the Bible was, when the authorized version of the Bible was first translated, uh, during the time of James I, of course, there was a, a massive kind of um, thing about demonization, witchcraft, and so on. Um, that they imported what they thought about that into their translation of the Bible. And very sadly, actually, many of the Bible translations since have still used that expression. And in fact, I've heard Wayne Grudem speak on this, and he was on the committee for the translation of the ESV, which is one of the most accurate translations. I wouldn't say it was the most, but it's one of the most accurate translations. And Wayne Grudem apparently pleaded with the committee not to use the term demon possession in the translation, but they didn't take any notice. So you'll still see it in the ESV. But just to say it is de demonized or affected by a demon, and there can be varying degrees of that. Well, what began to rock my theology on the whole question of the demonic was fairly on in the history of our church in, in Brighton. Um, the Holy Spirit was moving very powerfully. Did any of you ever go to the Downs Bible Week? Anybody? Oh, wow! <laughs> so you will remember those halcyon days of uh, when it was all all fresh and you must have been very young, <laughs> all, all all fresh and very very new. And there was one. I think it was back in '83 when there was a particularly um, powerful Downs Bible Week. The ministry was incredible. And um, it was all very new and fresh, and churches like ours were being established. And the Sunday after the Downs Bible Week, um, I was going back to what was then Clarendon Church, where um, Terry Virgo was leading it, and uh, another guy by the name of Henry Tyler was uh, an elder, and I was the other elder. And there was a quite a simple pecking order. If Terry was there, he preached. If he wasn't, Henry preached. And if he wasn't, I preached. <laughs> <laughs> so we all knew where we stood. <laughs> and um, there was, uh, it was the Sunday after Downs, and we had, the, the worship was amazing. It was just like the presence of God was very strong. Now Terry Virgo was in the meeting, and you will catch the irony of this in a moment. I was, I was going to be preaching, and I was going to preach on the verse, don't rejoice that the demons are being cast out, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So that was my verse for the morning that I was going to be preaching on. Well, um, we get to notice his time, and Terry said to me, I'm going to leave the meeting now because 
I'm going to drive up to the Dales Bible Week in the north of England. So Wendy and I are getting in the car. We want to make an early start. So he said. So he kind of prayed for me and said, you, you know, have a great time in the Word. And then the last thing he said was, there's been a tremendous sense of God's presence here this morning. He said, I think before you preach, you should just open it up to see if there are any more prophetic words. So being a kind of young, submissive guy then, <laughs> um, he goes, so I'm just about to preach. So I said, just wonder if anybody else has got a prophetic word. So um, there was a queue. People came up and there were one or two quite innocuous ones. And then some, and this is all he said, I believe there's somebody here with a fear of sickness. At which point there was this ear-piercing scream and I looked and there was a woman who was a friend I, we, we were friends with her her and her husband family in the church home group leaders and really kind of keen Christians this woman stood and her face was almost like animal like and there were these voices coming out of her mouth and I thought me, Terry Virgo goes off <laughs> with this I didn't, th th this was not in my manual of how to be a young elder. Okay, so being God's man of faith and power for the hour I kind of leapt off the platform pointed at her and commanded this what was clearly a demonic manifestation to go well I tell you it made no difference whatsoever she got her hands around my throat and was trying to kill her kill me so um, in those days we didn't have a worship band but we did have a lady who played the piano she used to make Grant Kendrick sound like Chopin which was very, very very good so I just turned I just turned around and said Poppy play play in the name of Jesus we have the victory or anything just play so by now there were screams coming out from all over the room. There were about four or five hundred people in, in the room. There were screams coming out right across the room. So this woman had her hands around my throat. She was trying to kill me and, you know, these voices were coming at me. So we managed to get her out of the meeting and into the room kind of next door. And um, uh, I was like like a headless chicken. I was running around getting house group leaders here, house group... None of us had a clue what we were doing. So um, I said, just tell the thing to go in the name of Jesus when it was happening over there. You know, and I was doing that. My wife and I, Rosie, who's sitting here, we got this girl, Annie, into the other, into the other room and um, we began to minister to her. And that day we cast 40 demons out of her. Um, it turned out that as a teenager she had been uh, she'd been brought up in a Christian home and I knew that um, in, in the Brethren and uh, it, was, it was a Christian home but it was very legalistic and in her mid-teens she rebelled against it um, but was still going to church still part of the youth group um, and was watching um, horror movies playing with Ouija boards reading occult books and had really opened herself up to the occult then after a while she'd realized it was wrong just did this on her own repented from it and came back you know basically came back to god but what had happened is that these things had got hold of her and it would be like after she she was married she'd got a family um 
but this stuff had not been dealt with. Now, it's important to understand that when we talk about the demonic, we're talking about real, actual spiritual beings. And uh, if you want to know where demons come from, it is my conviction and belief from the scripture, and I've obviously over a number of years read a wide number of um, theological treatises on, 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 on this, it would seem that when <coughs> Satan was kicked out of heaven, that there were a load of angels that were kicked out with him that rebelled against God, and these are demon spirits. Now we need to understand about Satan is that Satan is not omnipresent. We are very rarely tempted by Satan himself. He's not omnipresent. He has none of the attributes of God. But there are hordes and hordes of demons who will attack us and do Satan's work. And we also need to understand that there is, just as in the angelic world, that there are angels and archangels and cherubim and seraphim, and there, there is a kind of hierarchy of the angelic, there is also a hierarchy that is reflected in the spiritual world. So we have a hierarchy of the demonic. So in Ephesians 6, now normally if I'm teaching on this I would spend quite a time on this and open it up and look at the scriptures. So I'm sure I'm quoting scriptures that you know. Um, so I won't, I won't turn to them and, uh, and read them. But in Ephesians 6, Paul is talking about spiritual warfare and he says... We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places or heavenly places. Now the Greek words that are used there, principalities, powers, they suggest rank and order. So you've got archas, from which we get archangel or archbishop or archetypical, it's like the pinnacle. So you've got principalities that are very very strong powerful beings who reside in the heavenly places okay so the, there are principalities there are powers and then you come right down to demons so there is within the spiritual world the negative spiritual world a hierarchy of demonic activity now it's important to understand that the way we approach these beings, we have to be very, very careful. Now, back in the 80s, um, during the time of Make Way, any of you remember Make Way? And uh, we were singing songs like, Now you powers in the heavens above bow down, and you powers in the heavens below bow, earth below bow, bow down. Um, basically, there was a teaching that came out, and it was very strong from... South America from the revivals there and also in countries like Africa where the Spirit of God is moving and they have a much better understanding of spiritual warfare and spiritual things than we seem to do with our Western mindset. There was this teaching that came out and many of us got involved in it where we would see principalities and powers what were called territorial spirits that would rule over areas and uh, particular situations and it would mean that you would go say you were doing an evangelistic crusade in a town or a city you would go and you would seek God for what that principality and power was you would give it a name and then you would all kind of fast and pray and bind it um, and we would do stuff 
in the heavenly places um, and um, it's, it seemed a reasonable thing to do but I can remember being on a make way march in Brighton with 2,000 people and as we were marching through the main street of Brighton singing now you powers in the heavens above bow down and you know you powers in the earth and doing this what we called praise warfare it suddenly occurred to me we are doing stuff up there when Joe Soap walking along the pavement needs to hear the gospel now that is how Paul did his spiritual warfare by proclaiming the gospel and it began to get me thinking hmm, not sure that we should be doing that that's a little digression and that might open up some questions that we can come back to back to my story of what what happened so it transpired this this lady told a story we began to go through lots of different um, areas that she'd been affected by the demonic i I was learning on the job, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was, as I say, I was learning on the job. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, if you've got a spiritual phenomena, if it's not clear in the Bible, you've got to try and find a way to explain it. So that was the kind of area that I was in, I was trying to work this out. So suddenly she puts on this face, and it's like an animal face, <coughs> and she starts roaring, and she, the voice within us start saying I'm a lion I'm a lion I'm a lion and uh, like I'm gonna get you I'm a lion I thought, well, what do you do with that and then I remembered that scripture from Isaiah where it talks about the highway of holiness that no wild beast will be on it so I just turned to it and read it and the demon went so I understood the power of God's word when you're when you're dealing with the demonic anyway we went through several areas and I say it was around 40 uh, 40 spirits were dealt with now you are going to think this is freaky okay but again it's it's one of those things where um, I'm so thankful for life in the spirit and what God does so I as I said we we were very green we didn't know what we were doing but suddenly there was an angel in the room and he stood he was massive huge angel and uh, he, he just stood there and I can see him as clearly as I can see you now and uh, he, he was there he didn't say anything he didn't do anything but it just reassured me that what I'm doing was okay because I thought however am I going to explain this <laughs> um, the, the interesting thing is that this lady Annie got completely free and her and her husband went off to become church planters um, they're still going strong in God um, interesting things happened like Annie would suddenly get these mysterious illnesses that stopped I mean she went blind for a season that stopped all those illnesses stopped her daughter uh, was celiac um, as a little girl and um, she we prayed for her she was completely healed from that was able to eat anything the little boy was having terrible nightmares that all stopped God lifted off the power of the demonic from that home now experientially I could explain that well God's done it but theologically this totally rocked me 
because I, th- I thought well surely if you're in Christ you're protected greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and you know all the scriptures we know I was chucking at this but, I, but it had happened so I began to really search the scriptures and a very very key scripture um, for me was the story in, um, in Luke and I think it's in Luke 13 and let me just check but I'm sure you all know the story. It's the story of the the uh, woman who um, needed healing. In, um, yeah, it's Acts 13. A woman in in the synagogue who comes and she she's it says she was bowed down with a spirit of infirmity. Oh, sorry, Luke. Yeah, she was bowed down with a with a spirit of infirmity, and um, Jesus speaks to her. And he calls her a daughter of Abraham. And he, he says, be loosed from the spirit of infirmity. And he says, because the Pharisees were goading him because he'd done it on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus says, says to them, this daughter of Abraham. Now that gave me a massive, massive clue <laughs> about how the demonic works with the people of God. Because what Jesus was doing was using a terminology of covenant she was a daughter of Abraham now what we must remember going right back and this is why the Old Testament is so important and what can happen is because of our understanding of grace and our understanding of new covenant we need to although we are not living under law we need to understand the spirit of the law and that there are different kinds of laws. So there was, uh, there was God's moral law and there was God's ceremonial law. And when we say we're freed from law, it means that we are freed from the ritualistic, those kind of laws, the religious laws. We are freed from that. But when it comes to God's moral law, um, then... Okay, we have a different way of overcoming now because we overcome by grace and not by willpower. And, and, but, and grace frees us from the law of sin and death. But it is a law of sin and death. And the law diagnoses our sin. So that has nothing... So we're not talking about legalistically going back to the Old Testament. But when we get to the book of Deuteronomy, which is a very, very neglected book and a very key book in understanding... God's moral law for us God gives the people of God various commands that if you do this, this, this and this and this I'll bless you but if you do this, this and this or you don't do this, this and this I will curse you now what we see from Deuteronomy onwards with the history of God's people right up until the time that Jesus comes apart from the odd time in the time of David, Solomon, Josiah, Hezekiah and all these other kings who brought revival. Basically we get a history of spiritual disaster and why was it a history of spiritual disaster? It was because they did not obey the Deuteronomic laws and so when Jesus comes again they are still living under the principles that God had given them in the first place in the book of Deuteronomy. So, God had said to them, I will give you rest from your enemies, you know, if you obey me. Um, and there, there are blessings and curses connected with our behaviour and our moral righteousness. Okay, that, that is intrinsic 
to our relationship with God. So, when I began to study those laws for the children of Abraham, okay, I began to see a pattern. And if I could define a curse as God withdrawing his hand of protection, we can define it like that because that is exactly what happened through the history of the Old Testament, right up until the time of the coming of Jesus. So if God withdraws his hand of protection, who gets in? And that's what a curse is, when the enemy comes in in that way, when demonic influence can come. And so what I find in the book of Deuteronomy is that the blessings and the curses are really tied down to five areas of human behaviour. Uh, if you read Deuteronomy from this perspective, it will really help you to un understand it. Okay, The first is in relationship to idolatry and our worship of God. So there are laws concerning our relationship with God and idolatry. And basically, God says, if you worship other gods, this is what will happen. These are the curses that will come upon you. So that's the first set of laws. The second is to do with the occult and using um, occult powers. Now, the word occult comes from the Latin word occultus, which means secret or hidden. So there was secret and hidden power that could be drawn on. So, for instance, we get that in the story of Balaam, um, where Balaam, who was a um, necromancer, wizard, practicing witchcraft and so on, and um, they went to Balaam because they thought he could put a curse on Israel. Well, of course, he couldn't because God's protection was on Israel in that particular case, but I'll come back to that story in a few moments. So there were laws concerning witchcraft, divination, necromancy, fortune-telling, and <coughs> dire consequences if they did that. The third area was in the area of family relationships. So the way parents treated their children, um, rebellious sons, rebellious children. So it was to preserve the order of family life and marriage so there were laws concerning family life the fourth area was in the area of sexual uh, sexual behavior so particularly deviant sex and uh, um, there were laws con concerning that and the fifth one which might be a bit surprising was in the area of social relationships how you treated your neighbour, but how you treated foreigners who came into your land. Now it's interesting at the moment with what's going on in Israel, how Ezekiel took one of those laws and said, if you are going to be in the land, make sure you treat the foreigner, the stranger, and you give them rights in your land. That's yeah. in Ezekiel 45. I mean, it's, that is a big deal. So, um, at, at basic domestic level, it was don't move your neighbour's boundary fence. Um, at a much wider social level, it was <coughs> make sure you are embracing aliens and strangers who come into your land. So there were laws concerning that um, our relationship with 
relationships with other nations and, and other peoples. Mm -hmm. So I have found, and this, I've found this just by experience, that when you look at the consequences of those curses, many, many people who are bound up and seem to need deliverance, it can usually come under one of those five headings. So, for instance, family rejection. Rejection is huge. Again, we'll come back to that in a moment. Okay, I'll just finish the story. and then. So I'm trying to lob in a bit of narrative and a bit of theology and a bit of testimony all, all at once. So I'm condensing masses into <laughs> um, just into a, a, a little bit of time. Okay, so in the story of Annie... Um, it got me looking at this and that is what I began to find out and then <coughs> I thought well what does it say in the New Testament um, Jesus clearly did cast out demons now he was casting out demons from covenant people do you remember the Syrophoenician woman Jesus wouldn't deal with with the daughter because she wasn't a Jew he said, no, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she, so, she was so importunate towards him. She said, well, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. And yeah. so Jesus, Jesus healed her. Um, but that was, in a sense, anticipating after his death and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit, the gospel going out to not just from Israel, but to the ends of the earth. And so part of the great commission that Jesus gave was equipping them to not only preach the gospel and heal the sick, raise the dead, but to cast out demons. And that's why Jesus taught them how to cast out demons when he sent out the 70. Mm -hmm. So they came back, and that was the verse I was going to preach on that Sunday morning, but never got round to it. <laughs> Just to say, that Sunday morning meeting, Rosie and I got home from it at 9 o'clock at night that night. Um, <laughs> And it cleaned our church up. It really cleaned the church up. It was a massive, massive thing. It was that the noise in the morning meeting was so strong that the police arrived. The neighbours <laughs> called the police. Police car pulled up outside. Policeman came in and the lady on the door said, explained to the policeman that the Holy Spirit had come to the church. So he goes back and radios all over the airwaves of Sussex. <laughs> very words, Holy Ghost Christianity has hit Clarendon Church <laughs> so um, it, 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 was, it was quite a morning, I would say it's the most powerful meeting I've ever been in in my life um, and really set me on this journey to teach on it and to do it and um, so that, that's a little bit of how I got, got into it and some of the conclusions that I came to, it rocked my theology um, but if you have an experience, you've got to try and explain it. But when I got underneath it, you realise, actually, there is a theology, but you have to look for it. So you can't put it in a systematic theology, but um, you, you, you can by, by looking at it. Another big clue for me was at the end of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 29, when Moses is summing up the blessings and the curses, he says... See to it that no bitter root grows up among you. It will be as wormwood. Now that was in relationship to the, to the curses. So there would be a bitter root that defiles many. 
Now, we've got to remember that God does communicate through the Bible, but the Bible is literature, and so if literature is going to communicate, you need the devices of literature. So you need metaphor and story, narrative, poetry, drama, all the things that make up literature are all there in the Bible. Now, what you find is that there is a consistent imagery that goes right through the prophetic writings, through the Psalms, on this whole concept of a bitter root. You find it cropping up, it crops up in Isaiah, crops up in Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Interestingly enough, it crops up in Hebrews 12, where the writer to the Hebrews says, don't be like uh, Esau, who couldn't find a place of repentance, um, he says, see to it that no bitter root grows up in you and defiles many. Now, I've been involved in helping churches where a bitter root has grown up and there's been a demonic stronghold over the church that has had to be broken. So when we're talking about the demonic, it's not just personal. Demons can affect a whole group of people. Um, but again, I would love to open up more on that, but, but we will move on. So then, having discovered that there is demonic activity, that it does affect Christians, that the breaking of covenant can be an entry point for the demonic to get hold of, uh, to get hold of us, how do we deal with it? Well, Jesus cast them out. So when it is the demonic, we cast it out. Now, let's just go to another area of spiritual warfare, because spiritual warfare isn't all about the demonic. The three classic ways in which we fight our spiritual battle are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we have to know how to fight the battle. We have to know what it is we're fighting and how we fight. So, um, in, in a natural war, if you've got a land attack, it's no good sending out the submarines. Okay, you fight the battle where the battle's being fought. And so when it comes to the world, we fight the battle. There are principles of fighting the world. When it comes to the flesh, we fight the flesh. When it comes to the devil, we fight the devil. Now let me just try and give a little bit of definition to this. So what are we talking about when we say that we are fighting against the world what is worldliness <laughs> now I grew up and people in my generation grew up in churches in evangelical churches where worldliness was that women didn't wear lipstick or trousers you didn't go to the pictures and um, if you went to the football it was a bit suspect but we were allowed to because <laughs> blokes like it so <laughs> um, but that 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 was that that's what worldliness was you know it, it was so um you know when when we did when my dad did eventually let us have a television we weren't allowed to watch it on Sundays because that was worldly um now you know bless him it was worship to God and I'm so thankful to God for my home um so I'm not knocking that at all but that isn't what worldliness is worldliness is thinking as the world thinks it's your value system being governed by the world's philosophies. So, for instance, in our own day, tolerance has become the new morality. 
And so if we don't accept certain things, we become the sinners because we are intolerant. And it's a turning upside down of morality. I mean, there are lots and lots and lots of issues that we, 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 could, we could look at. But worldliness is thinking as the world thinks from secular philosophies that leave out biblical truth, biblical values, and, and leave, out, leave out God. <coughs> And so, you know, I teach a lot on, on Alpha courses. So we have to teach people what sin actually is. Because you can get a person saved, repenting from sin, and not realising that it's wrong to be sleeping with their girlfriend, because they would not see that as sin. That is what is acceptable to society. So, do you see what I mean? So that's, that's what worldliness is. So how do you fight worldliness? You fight worldliness with the truth of God's word. So Paul says here in uh, 2 Corinthians 10 that, that um, we, we, uh, we will pull down strongholds, the strongholds of this world, when our obedience is complete. It is related to the way we relate with the word of God, with scripture. Okay, So there's, there's, that, there's that to contend with. The other is the flesh. Now, to be honest, this is probably Christian's biggest battleground. Now, the flesh, in and of itself, is neutral. So, we have desire for food, we have desire for drink, we have desire for sleep, we have desire for sex. All of those things are natural to us. But it's when the desire for food and drink becomes greed and um, gluttony and sex becomes immorality and so on, but we all have those natural desires and actually they're God-given because therefore our preservation. It's when the flesh is out of control. So how do we fight the flesh? Well, we crucify, crucify it. We reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. I mean, Terry Virgo's great teaching on victory over sin, you know, in his books on grace. You know, you reckon yourselves dead to sin, alive in Christ. So sexual temptation comes, what do we do? No, I am now a new creature in Christ, I am dead to sin. That's how we overcome it. Temper rise up, rises up, I'm dead to sin, that's how I find it. Okay, so we reckon ourselves dead to sin. Now when it comes to the demonic, you can't crucify a demon. And you can't cast out the flesh. So we have to know where we're fighting the battle. So again, there are areas of teaching. If we had all day and all next week, I could open up on, on all of those. But as we're dealing with the demonic, we'll come back to that. Just to say, in the story of Balaam, it's very, very interesting. Because Balaam is trying to curse Israel. And um, you remember the king of Edom hired him to curse Israel. Um, tries to curse Israel, he can't do it, and, he and he's got no idea about what, what God's doing. And God says to Balaam in the end, no divination can come against Israel. Okay, so in God we are protected. Now the interesting thing is, the Israelites were totally protected because God was protecting them against the demonic. But just a few chapters later, the men of Israel start lust, lusting after the women in the new bit of land that they've gone to. And suddenly they are fighting the flesh and failing. 
and so it's a different battle and so God's protecting them when it comes to the demonic but when it comes to the flesh he's saying well get on with it so we need to understand how we're fighting okay having said that our battle against the demonic is very very strong and this is where I'm on a bit of a crusade to get the charismatic church churches like ours back to seeing it as an everyday thing I would say almost not quite but almost every week I am praying for people to get to be rid of demons it's it's an ongoing part of my ministry I am not a specialist I do not believe in having a deliverance ministry that never get into that whole thing it's just part and parcel of our normal spirit-filled life and that is why in the list of the gifts of the spirit that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 12 the gift of it's not the gift of discernment okay it's the gift of the discernment of spirits and that's to know whether a problem a person has is demonically originated and if it's demonically originated you deal with it in that way and no amount of counseling will get rid of a demon okay a demon has to be cast out we'll come back to that one in a minute if if we've got got time okay so there's a little bit of background there on my own particular journey um, our history demands it I believe current church life demands it because people get into all kinds of situations and problems and basically the God's moral law that he's given it's not just to the people of God it's for the good of the human race and so when we are dealing with non-Christians and lead, and this affects how I now lead people to Christ there are questions that I will ask that could provoke the demonic. I'll give you an example um, uh, a while ago, uh, it was back in my last year at, at CCK, which was seven years ago, my PA came to me, a lady by the name of Claire, and she said, um, I'm doing an alpha table, and I've got a lady on my alpha table who uh, has said that she wants to be baptised, um, which has pleased me on one level, but on another level, I'm not really sure about her I'm not really sure whether she's ready or not whether she's even saved she said will you see her with me so I said sure fair enough I'm happy to see her so Claire brings this lady to my office very very sharp woman um, she was a journalist uh, wrote for one of the upmarket magazines um, very clear thinking lady and um, single mum and uh, got two two young boys and um, she'd been coming to Alpha so we made the small talk I got to know her a bit so I said to her so uh, you want you want to be baptized she said yeah I said well why do you want to be baptized she said oh well um, I want to become a Christian so I thought ah oh, that's interesting so I said what makes you think being baptized will make you a Christian she said well I thought that's what you had to do to become a Christian so I explained the way of salvation to her went through the gospel went through Romans and uh, you know some of the scriptures 
got her to the place where you know baptism as a result of uh, of repentance and faith and putting your trust in, in Jesus being baptized doesn't make you a Christian so she said um, okay um, a letter to the Lord that was great so I then now it'd be very easy to be overexcited about leading her to Christ but I then said to her have you ever been involved in anything occultic she said oh no I wouldn't do anything like that so I said oh okay fine um, I said have I read your horoscope she said oh yeah I do that all the time she said it's usually true so I said ah oh, that's interesting uh, what about tarot she said oh yeah she said I've got this spirit guide who tells me what to do I was, uh, okay. <laughs> so she went through a whole number of things. I said, that is the occult. She said, oh, I didn't realise that. She said, I just thought it was another form of sp spirituality and it looks like Jesus's one is better. Um, now, it's interesting that she was on a spiritual journey. So uh, I, I, I said to her, well, look, God expressly forbids those things and the fact that you've opened yourself up to another form of spirituality means that they are going to affect your Christian life it doesn't mean that you have not now become a Christian but they will affect your Christian life so we need to cast them out she said I'm up for anything so I just laid hands on her and I commanded an occult spirit to go, at which point this voice starts coming out of her mouth. She goes down on the floor, wriggling around like a snake, and uh, it's incredible. So anyway, we get the demons out of her. She says, oh, thank goodness they've gone. I didn't even know all that was there. So I said, now you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, what's that? So I explained. Laid hands on her, immediately speaking in tongues. Didn't even mention tongues to her. Just didn't even mention tongues and she starts prophesying as well so wow now I wish it was always as easy as that <laughs> it isn't but she, she was right for the picking but what it has made me do is when I'm leading somebody to Christ I ask the hard questions because a lot of pastoral people are picking up issues that should have been dealt with at conversion the basis of our salvation is that Jesus delivers us from sin and delivers us from the demonic. And in the early church, this was always dealt with at baptism. If you read your church history, you read people like F.F. Bruce and their description of Acts and in the one or two hundred years after Acts, that, that was normal church practice. That at baptism, people would, it would be made sure that people were set free from the demonic. Okay, well, I've whizzed through some stuff there. There is so, so much more that I can say. Just to say on the, um, on the pastoral level, you will find that one of the biggest issues you will have to deal with demonically is the whole area of rejection. Um, now, rejection is a very complex thing. Um, and... Um, it affects the way we relate with God, it affects the way we relate with each other and there will be degrees of it and there are various causes of it. 
but usually it is to do with the way we relate with God, knowing God as Father, a whole sense of identity, and there will be levels of it. And there are different ways of dealing with it. Sometimes just counselling from the Word of God helps people to come through. But very, very often there is a demonic stronghold of rejection. And that rejection can cause all sorts of other issues and all sorts of other problems. So I'm going to spend five minutes on this and then I'm going to open up for questions. Okay? So God has planned for us in our humanity to be parented and for security and love to be built into us. But right from the start, right from the fall, that fell down. So we see in the sibling relationship between Cain and Abel, Adam's children, that there is an immediate sibling rejection and there is, well, you, you know the outcome of the story. So when I look at rejection, and uh, without um, trying to explain why, you just have to take this as read. There can be rejection in the womb. If uh, a woman is expecting a child and um, is thinking about abortion or tries to have the child aborted or has negative feelings towards the child, the child can be born with rejection. Very quick illustration of that. We had a couple in our church um, who had got... Um, five kids, all grown up, all teenagers, they got their family life totally worked out, really, you know, happy family, godly family, then the wife becomes pregnant. She is absolutely livid because they've got their life worked out, don't want any more kids, they love their kids, love their family, she's livid. She's mad with herself, she's mad with her husband and she's mad with God, this has happened. So they know that's wrong, so they, they come and they, they talked about it. We went through repentance, prayer, and baby's born, and they're absolutely thrilled and delighted. Interestingly enough, when the child would be between about a year and 18 months in, in that period, um, when it's just beginning to like develop its personality, this child starts to behave in an incredibly difficult way, biting, scratching, facial contortions and the parents came to me and they said do you think it's anything to do with my attitude to the child I said it, it could well be so I said I'll come and pray so I went into the house and when the baby was in the cot we stood over the baby and God showed me that this was a spirit of rejection that was affecting this child and we commanded it to go in the name of Jesus and from that moment that behavior stopped so that's re rejection in, in the womb. There can be sibling rejection. So Cain and Abel were the first examples of that. But that can be when um, a brother or sister or brothers and brothers or sisters and sisters unfavourably compare themselves with each other to the degree. I don't know if you just watched that, that series on uh, ITV, Innocent. Yeah. Did, did, did any of you watch that? Yeah. Great, great series, but but that, what a classic example uh, of sibling rejection that 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 was. Um, so sibling rejection. Um, then there can be rejection from uh, somebody in authority over you. So it could be a school teacher. You know, why can't you be more like your brother was? Oh, you're stupid. Your sister was really clever. That sort of. Speaking can reinforce 
rejection and pain and cause brothers and sisters, siblings to feel rejected. Then there's, uh, uh, so sibling rejection, rejection from those in authority over you. When um, somebody in authority who should be affirming puts you down and uh, um, it, again, I could see it happening with school teachers very often. It can happen in the workplace. It can even happen in a church where uh, an unwise pastoral figure can speak non-affirming words that wound. And then ultimately, parental, particularly paternal rejection. Now the interesting thing is that Jesus went through all of those rejection in the womb. Mary never rejected him but Joseph did to start with until the angel came and explained. Certainly Jesus' peers he grew up with rejected him. Sibling rejection, his brothers and sisters rejected him. It's recorded in the Gospels. His disciples, Peter denied him, Thomas doubted him, Judas betrayed him, went through that rejection from authority figures, Caiaphas the high priest, he was a high priest, he had the scriptures, he would have known the book of Isaiah inside out, why couldn't he recognise Jesus when others did? And then ultimately on the cross where he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Parental rejection. So Jesus went through all of that. Now often you will find just going through those things helps people to break free and understand who they are and identifying a problem but then if there is no deliverance that comes through putting our faith in the word it could be that there is a spirit of rejection and with a spirit of rejection there are often other things that go with it so a guy came to me um, he was a leader and he said, uh, he said, I've got a terrible problem with pornography. I'm very embarrassed about it. I've had prayer for it. He said, uh, I've got a beautiful wife. I've got beautiful kids. I am so ashamed, but I can't break it. And I sensed that there was, now I'm not condoning the sin, but I sensed there was something behind this that was beyond the pornography. So I said to him, well, tell me about your relationship with your dad. He said, oh, my dad hated me. My dad would introduce me to my friends by saying, this is Steve, he's no good at anything. And he said, my, my dad was always putting me down. He said, it really rocked my identity, my self-image. He said, I'm a believer, I love Jesus, I love my wife, I love my kids, but I can't break this because I've got this nagging thing going on inside me. We dealt with a spirit of rejection and the pornography stopped. Uh, now I had to confess that a sin obviously, but it was like the root cause was a demonic stronghold in, in his life. So rejection is a big, big issue. And um, I would say if you're dealing with somebody who you sense, and you, you, you can usually tell like they find it difficult rela making relationships, going into a crowded room being afraid to talk to people you know like the whole sense of identity is uh, you know that they, they, they feel negative about themselves feeling negative about themselves it could be that that is a, a demonic stronghold and so I pray about rejection as a root 
I pray about fear of rejection, I pray about self-rejection, so there's a lot of self-harm particularly going on with teenagers at the moment. It comes out of rejecting yourself because you feel rejected. And then there's the rejecting of others, keeping others at arm's length. It's one of the biggest themes that there is in TV dramas. Not that I watch that many, but, <laughs> but it is. it's, a, it's a massive, massive thing. And one of the reasons why it's so big is because Satan has a vested interest in drawing people into his rejection. And so he will send out demons to really try and get a hold of people in that area. Okay, so how do you deal with it? Well, you deal with it by talking those things through, bringing it out into the light and praying critically and commanding that demon to go in the name of Jesus. I'm going to stop there because um, I mean, there's, there's so much I, I could talk about. But if there are any questions, please come back to me. I mean, there are so many areas of spiritual warfare. You know, what about warfare praying? What about binding and loosing? You know, all that sort of stuff. I mean, loads and loads of stuff. If you've got any questions, please let's just spend a few moments coming back to those. Yeah, go for it. Mouse 2. The first was, I was intrigued by what you said about what the most accurate translation would be. If it's not the ESV, so that might be an easy one. What, what's the most accurate yeah, translation? I'm just curious. Um, I, I, to be honest, I, I don't know. I mean, the ESV is pretty accurate, apart from a few bits and pieces. The NIV is pretty accurate, apart from a few bits and pieces. The New American Standard is also very accurate. So that they are the three that I would always use. Yeah. The second one was, if you, it's been so helpful to hear about identifying some of those root causes. If you think there might be something going on, but if it, if you see that there's a mental health issue as well. Yeah. Um, it just seems quite tricky sometimes, sort of untangling what is maybe the flesh yeah. and what is maybe the spiritual. Side. Just, do you have any? I appreciate this might be talking the whole book, but any mm. advice for dealing with? someone you think has got mental health issues yeah. but maybe also demonised as well yeah this, this is not an easy one to answer in a, a, a few moments but just to say that men, uh, mental disturbance and mental health issues are not necessarily demonic it's a bit like in the physical you can have a physical condition or you can have a physical condition that's caused by a spirit of infirmity mm. so but there is a bit of a stigma about mental health because, um, well, just that, it can be a stigma. So we need to be very, very careful. What I find very, very often with mental health issues is that it can be a cop-out for dealing with the demonic. And I've had one or two situations where, um, particularly with the whole area of depression, where I've known it's been demonic but the person has not gone down that route, they've said it's a mental health issue, and it hasn't been, it's been demonic. On the other hand, not all depression is demonic. Um, there are all sorts, it's a very, very complex thing. Um, I find that often there is an interlink between the two, between the demonic and the mental, what I would not do is go down the route of the demonic if you suspect that there are mental health issues as well. It's much better to feed in the truth and pray for healing from for the brain, for the mind, and it's just as okay to pray for healing for the mind as it is to pray for healing of 
the body. So I would deal much more, uh, if it is a mental health issue, with praying for healing rather than dealing with the demonic. You will know if it's demonic, to be honest, um, because there is an obsessive compulsiveness about it that goes beyond um, uh, that goes beyond it just being a mental problem. But it, it is a very complex thing, and I can't answer that in, in a few moments, but I hope that that will give you a way of looking at it. Okay. Yeah. Things, you've just said so much about um, rejection. Do you think you've just mentioned the importance of forgiveness to get people free from anything like that? Yeah, that's, that's, a, so yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, When you're praying for somebody in the whole area of rejection, it's very, very important to get the person to identify where the rejection has come from <coughs> and to express forgiveness mm -hmm. for that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I live uh, near Bradford, I mm. work with some Muslim folk, mm. and um, a woman, particularly Muslim, they talked to me about her family in Pakistan. Mm. Uh, her, her father went through some particular mental turmoil and said it was the family in Pakistan putting curses on mm. her family. Mm. And then also her sister sat under a tree in a park became possessed by a spirit mm. um, and they had to call the imam who mm. came and cast it out mm. and everybody comes to me because they know I'm a Christian mm. <laughs> what do you think of this, what is this, what's mm. this all about you know mm. um, yeah so any yeah I, I mean that that is not an easy one um, <laughs> yeah I mean Muslims can cast demons out of people right. um, the, people but the problem is from what source do they do the casting yeah, out yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. your problem yeah, yeah. and as Jesus said you can cast the spirit out but if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit you know seven words will come in <coughs> so when, when we cast spirits out in the name of Jesus um, then we need to pray for that person to be filled with the Holy Spirit um, but also you know the story in in Ephesus when the seven sons of Sceva tried the Jewish exorcists they were exorcists, they'd have been recognised as such, but when there comes a conflict, you know, when they're doing it on their own, it's probably alright, but when it comes into conflict with Jesus, then it, it won't be, and they'll probably find themselves in problem so, beware, be ready get your armour on <laughs> yeah okay. uh, and just to say um, there's a verse that says <coughs> Excuse me. Um, an undeserved curse will find no rest. It's in Proverbs. Okay, so don't ever be worried about somebody putting a curse on you. Okay, I've I've had that a few times. I'm in Christ. Okay, one here and then one here. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to follow up on what you said about the root causes and rejection. I've actually just been through this in the previous week myself. Mm. Um, lots and lots of story, and I'm not very coherent. Sorry, but um. Forgiveness was crucial, and yeah. I came to a massive head last week with my mum, and I forgave her, yeah. but a lot of parental rejection in my childhood, and yeah. on Wednesday night, my husband prayed for me, I had a panic attack, and I threw up as yeah. he cast them in captivity, so yeah. that's a massive thing about yeah, great. Well done. Yeah, the throwing up is probably the demon coming out, That's actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I know that uh, demonization is not always uh, caused by sin in the person mm. because of something they've done. Mm. But where you know it is, would you not, or would you sort of lead them to repentance first? 
before ever trying to cast a demon out. Yes, definitely. So if, if it is in the sin area, <coughs> yeah, I would get them to renounce that sin mm. and then um, on the basis of that and ask forgiveness for it mm. and then tell the demon to go. Now it's very interesting with sexual sin. Um, is it an unclean spirit or is it, um, you know, is sexual sin demonic um, or is it the flesh? Very interesting, the woman taken in adultery, Jesus didn't cast out a spirit of adultery, he told her to go and sin no more. Um, but there are people who have massive sexual problems that go beyond just the crucifixion of the flesh and it could be because there are such things as unclean spirits who make people do unclean things. Um, uh, but you still get them to renounce renounce it as sin so renunciation of the spirit even with rejection which isn't necessarily a sin I still get the people to articulate I renounce rejection in Jesus name okay and any other yeah do you have any books that you would recommend so because you have such a lot of mm. great experience yeah. but you haven't been able to give impart to us. Sure. So any books yeah. that you yeah. recommend? A very good book is Demolishing Strongholds by David Devonish. Very, very good book. Um, Michael Green, I believe in Satan's Downfall. Which is more of an overview um, of, of the demonic, but, but very good. There is another one which is quite lengthy and quite expensive and you would have to get it from America is um, oh senior moment um, a handbook for a handbook of spiritual warfare by Ed Murphy Dr Ed Murphy handbook of spiritual warfare that is a very very comprehensive book and very good just to say, if you are in a situation where you're confronted by the demonic, you don't need to panic. Don't panic. Okay? Quite simply, if you feel it is demonic and you've got the person to identify that it is, get them to renounce it in the name of Jesus and then command the demon to go in the name of Jesus. Now, you might get a reaction like coughing, vomiting, but don't be impressed by manifestations. It is our authority that is the most important thing. So I'm never impressed by a manifestation. So I tell the demon to go and um, sometimes the demon will come back at you and sometimes it might even start speaking to you. Don't, if that happens, don't get into conversation with the demon. Don't ask the demons for information. They lie anyway. So, um, just keep it low key, as low key as, as you can. And that's where the whole, what we might call the deliverance ministry, which is not a terminology I use or like, but where it's come into disrepute is where you read about long sessions and, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Take the steam out of it. Jesus did it with, well, he, he often did it with a word, not always. So in the case of Legion, he did enter into conversation and that was a kind of unique a, a, a unique time but 
don't have any truck with them you tell them to go in the name of Jesus and in the end they've got to go and if the demon is not going it's because I this is an illustration I use okay if you've got a root in the ground it's no good just pulling it okay you've got to dig it and if the if the demon isn't going you need to do maybe a little bit more counseling talking discussion try and get under the roots to to get it out okay and that might take you know, if somebody comes to me and they're saying, look, I've got this spiritual problem and I'm suspecting that it's <coughs> demonic, I won't always pray the first time. I will go through, I mean, I'm talking about pastoral situations yeah. now. Um, I will maybe have a couple of sessions where I will get that person to try and identify um, that, um, you know, what, what this... Uh, what, what this is, what its root is, what its cause is, then doing that, that kind of loosens up the soil and then you can get the root out. Okay, well I hope that's been helpful to you. Um, as, as I say, I mean it, it is a massive, massive, massive subject. Um, but um, I hope that's taken the mystery out of it, really, because I think, you know, people get a bit weird about it. Don't, don't be weird. <laughs> okay. The gospel is not weird. Where will your book be at? Yeah, that's Sorry? I've oh, finished writing it. <laughs> I've written about six chapters. I've got, I've got about another seven or eight to go. Well, hopefully you can write another chapter tonight. We're all looking forward to it. Thank you for laying that out for us and being really clear. It's cleared up a lot of points for me and for other people here. Great. So we're very pleased to have had you here. Thank Great. you for Bless sharing you. with us today. Okay. So if we can say thank you. I think we've got a 15 minute break, there should be tea and coffee.